0: And I'm going to read it for us, uh, Acts chapter 16, verses 25 to 34. Uh, Please read it out loud in your homes uh, or in your hearts as well. Here we go. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Amen. And now at this time, as we take a seat, let us um, prepare our hearts to receive the word of God through our pastor, David Moon. Uh, Good morning, KCPC. How are you doing? Uh, I
1: hope that Jesus will be our only hope. And with that said, let's prepare our hearts in prayer as we receive this word. Let's pray. Lord, our Father and King, and our Heavenly Father, We pray that as we come to you as broken people who have experienced once again the hurts and the pain and the miseries of the past week, that, Father, you would open up to us your word, help our hearts be open to understand uh, what you say to us today, and may there be a response, a unanimous response amongst all your people here today in faith. By faith, help them grasp onto your word that is being proclaimed today and Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would help them confirm what they know to be true, which is that Jesus is the way. He is the life, and He is the way and the truth. And Father, we pray that as we understand this, people draw closer to you. And they would form a relationship with you because you have reached out to them first. Father, we pray uh, for all the people, especially who feel restricted, not free, but enslaved, not just to external circumstances to their families or to their workplaces, but those who are internally and mentally and spiritually enslaved this day to their addictions and to their sins and to their brokenness, that they would see a mighty, freeing Savior and approach him with humility. And Lord, would you free them this day? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Colin Kaepernick, uh, he became a civil activist and afterwards he wrote an essay, um, a series of essays, and he talked about his ideal utopia. In this utopia, uh, he argued that there would be a utopia without police and prisons. And when this was announced on social media, uh, one of the top replies was this, wouldn't a true utopian vision be a civilization without the preconditions for crime? In other words, not just arguing against prisons and police, but it was basically saying that a true utopian vision will be a place that doesn't have the preconditions of crime. Nobody is free from sin, and that's the reason that we can't have a utopia. Scripture shows that this is the truth as well. Prior to today's text, Paul and Silas chased out a demon from a young girl who made money for her uh, through masters by predicting the future. And so she was enslaved twofold. This girl, before today's text, was enslaved to her earthly masters, um, and at the same time, she was enslaved by evil spirits to do fortune telling. And so when Paul rebukes uh, this evil spirit out of her, her own owners see that their money-making machine is lost, and so what happens is they become furious and imprison Paul and Silas. And so not only is this girl enslaved to her masters, these masters are enslaved to money. No one is free from sin. And this shows a panorama of the world. It shows what's happening here. The girl is enslaved to evil spirits, the masters are enslaved to money, the populace is enslaved to politics and fortune-telling and horoscopes. And the magistrates who put Paul and Silas in jail are enslaved also to politics and popularity. The jailer and the prisoners alike are enslaved to the criminal system. And here we have Paul and Silas amongst them, literally in chains. And this is showing a panorama of the world that nobody is actually free. Nobody is free. But what's really weird is that in this situation, Paul and Silas start singing in the midst of all this human fallenness. They start singing. Scripture makes us ask this question out of all the people here that today's scripture shows in chapter 16, who really is free? Who's free? Are you free? And in this context, where scripture shows that all people are enslaved, it makes us ask the question, who's free? And then starts with a song, a song that occurs in midnight. Verse 25 says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I don't know if you saw the movie Shawshank Redemption, um, but in that movie there was a scene where uh, the main character, uh, Andy Dufresne, he turns on a, an, an opera song in the middle of a prison, and Morgan Freeman starts narrating and recounts that all the prisoners who listened to those songs, despite their conditions, what they were doing, how long they were in prison, for the briefest moments, he says, for the briefest of moments, every last man in Shawshank felt free. And that's basically what's happening in today's text. It's midnight in death row, and you have Paul and Silas singing with their feet cuffed and shackled to the floor. They couldn't move. uh, They're in a very painful position. The blood circulation was being cut off, and in that painful position, beaten within an inch of their lives in a Roman prison that wasn't known for its cleanness, obviously, yet they're singing. I tend to notice that I sing when there has been a song going on in my head and it just comes out naturally. And then I remember, oh, that was a song in my head. And I believe this is what's happening today. It's been there going around and around and around in Paul and Silas' head. There was a song there that kept circling, and I imagine it was a song about salvation, a song about their calling to spread the word of God. And so even when they were being whipped, and they were being persecuted and mocked and dragged around by an angry, bloodthirsty crowd. Paul and Silas had a song in their heart: is their faith in action. And they're rejoicing in the salvation of Jesus, of being called to carry the gospel to every single tribe and nation. And when that joy of salvation is always in your heart, it's in your head, I believe First Thessalonians 5:16 now becomes possible, which says what? Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. This was just happening in the prison because what? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, that we always be rejoicing, always be praying, always giving thanks in all circumstances, even in a Roman jail cell. Now, why is this constant rejoicing so important in our lives? Because when you have this joy of salvation and you express it through song and prayer and fellowship and words, verse 25 happens. And the prisoners were listening to them. When you're, when you're enjoying your salvation and rejoicing in the, in the fact that Jesus could save a sinner like you, what happens is God places people next to you to hear that song coming from your heart, that song of rejoicing and salvation. So verse 26. Right after that, suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. Now God responds to the songs of Paul and Silas. And you see how uh, stupidly supernatural this is. this is. This just doesn't make sense. I mean, okay, let's assume that an earthquake with all this power can throw open all the doors in a prison. But... You know, I would assume that the ceiling would come down and people would be crushed, but somehow the doors were opened, right? And it gets even weirder. Somehow, everyone's bonds, their shackles were loosened. You know, imagine, imagine harnessing all the kinetic power of an, of an earthquake and using it to pinpoint it to a person's shackles and op- opening it. Every single prisoners had their bonds opened. It's crazy, right? And this is a picture that we see all throughout the sermon series. Faith causes God to move supernaturally. And so the first sermon, by faith, you climb up a hill and God wins the battle, right? By faith, you reach out and you hold onto the hem of Jesus' robe and he heals you. And today, by faith, you sing in prison and God opens the gates. In other words, faith moves God. But God doesn't move for you. He moves for his own glory that the gospel would be known. And this, you can see, isn't nature at work. It's not nature. Nature isn't so pinpointed to help push the narrative of the gospel forward. This is God at work. And he's demonstrating what? He's orchestrating something. He's preparing something. Just as Holy Spirit in chapter 16, at the start of it, he saved Lydia. And then afterwards, he saved this demon-possessed girl in the middle of the chapter. Now the Holy Spirit has one more person that he wants to touch. The earthquake is preparing a stage, and he's waiting for the final person to appear on that stage to trust in the gospel. And who is that person? It is the jailer. Verse 27, when the jailer woke and he saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. The Holy Spirit has in mind right now, through the earthquake and through all these events that caused Paul and Silas to sing in jail, to bring a prisoner, to bring a jailer to the faith. Now, according to Roman law, the reason that he's trying to kill himself is this. A jailer that lost his prisoners, they were, uh, they were due the same punishment that his prisoners would have suffered. In other words, The jailer had people uh, who were on death row and who were lifetime sentences in jail. And so that's why the jailer was trying to kill himself because he knew that in the morning the magistrates would find out and he would be forced to kill himself. And so even though this seems very arbitrary, Roman law is recognizing that justice rests upon a finely balanced scale for every pardon of sin, whether it was done freely or unjustly, there must be justice. And this kind of reminds us of Jesus' cross and what that does for us. In order to set us free from sin, even though it wasn't warranted, Jesus took upon himself the fate that was due to us. And he died upon the cross so that we might live and be free. And there's an echo of the gospel going around here when it recognizes that there is a price to pay for the freedom of people who are not free. Because Paul and Silas received this freeing mercy and salvation of Jesus Christ, even though they were inside the jail, they didn't take the opportunity of the earthquake to escape the jail. They stayed in behind because they were already free. They were already free. And so this is really funny. Even though they were in jail, they sang because they received freedom already. But the jailer had not encountered Jesus yet. And so even though he was outside the prison system, even though he was not in a jail cell, as soon as he sees the prisoners escape, he tries to kill himself because he was not free. He was not free. And so out of all these people, who's the ones that are free? And who are the people that are enslaved? Verse 28, Paul cries out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Listen to this. He says we're here. We're all here. Because they experienced the gospel of Jesus, those who are already freed don't have to step outside of a prison cell to be freed. They are already free in Christ. They're the freest people in this town. In this town where everyone's enslaved to a different taskmaster, the only free people are ironically voluntarily in jail. And not only do they say that they're free, they say we are all here. Every single prisoner inmate was all there. Now, I understand why Paul and Silas were still there. They probably had a mission, and they had the integrity of the gospel to protect. But what about the prisoners? Why didn't they escape? We have to recognize that they heard the song. They heard the prayers of Paul and Silas. And so they were recognizing, even in the midst of their hardened hearts, in the middle of a prison, in, in, you know, they were shackled down to the ground. As they were listening to this song, they recognized that's where true freedom is. It's not outside the jail cells. They knew what was waiting for them outside. They knew that they were not free. And so when they listened to this song and the prayers of Paul and Silas, they recognized that's where freedom is. And so even after the gates flung open by the earthquake, these people gathered around Paul and Silas recognizing that freedom was there. When we think of freedom, we often think of freedom from something that keeps us from doing what we want. I'll say that again. When we think of freedom, we think of it as freedom passively from something that keeps us from doing what we really want. And so just as the prisoners probably before wanted to be free from their chains to do what they want to do, freedom right now and liberty in the United States Looks like freedom from all the institutions, all the laws, all the regulations, all the police, and all the prisoners, all the prisons that keep me from doing what I want to do. I want to be free from debt. I want to be free from my family and the obligations that I have from them. I want to be free from my boss and my workplace, and we cry out for freedom from something. Right? Freedom from something. Even Christians, they desire freedom from sin for the worst reason at all. Why is it? Sometimes they want freedom from sin to feel better about themselves morally. Not because they want Christ, but because they want to feel better as people. I remember how many times, you know, I... I think I received this question the most out of all adult consultations. They often came to me with a passage open, and they say, hey, pastor, Scripture doesn't say don't drink, right? It says don't get drunk, and they justify their drinking. And I tell them, yeah, that's technically allowed, but you're not free. You're enslaved not to Scripture, but you're enslaved to strong drink. And we see people trying to be free from all the things that keep them from doing what they want. But Romans 5:6:18 6, 6, says this, You have been set free from sin and now have become slaves to righteousness. You see, the Christian freedom that we talk about isn't freedom from something. It's not freedom from something that keeps you bound down. It is freedom for something. Freedom for something. In other words, Paul and Silas, they weren't using their freedom to serve themselves. They were using their their found freedom, whether they were in jail or not, to serve their master, Jesus. Freedom for a mission. Freedom for the glory of God. Freedom for glorifying Jesus alone. And that's what freedom needs to look like. A lot of us think passively of freedom. Scripture says freedom is to be used for the glory of God. And so they remained in their jail cells because they had the freedom to serve God, whether they were in it or outside of it the soul that encounters jesus christ knows that freedom is not doing what their heart desires because what doing what the heart desires it will lands me in my predicaments every single day that's what causes all my suffering me doing what i want in the flesh freedom now is being freed for a greater purpose to love and serve god and people and to live for the church that's the freedom that we now have in christ amen That is the freedom that we now have. Not freedom from, but freedom for the Lord. And that's the freedom that we need to celebrate today. Verse 29 then says, And the jailer called for the lights, and he rushed in, trembling with fear, and fell down before Paul and Silas. And so you have to remember just last week, uh, sorry, the two weeks before when the bleeding woman uh, uh, kneeled down and got down prostrate before God, before Jesus, she was basically trembling in fear. And that's the same response we see today. The jailer was trembling in fear and fell down before Paul and Silas. And we have to remember, this is because not for a fear of self, not for fear of of losing his position as a jailer. This is fear coming into contact with the divine. He knew by faith that is slowly working in him now that this was not just ordinary people. And so he asks a very important question. He's asking, what must I do to be saved? It's a million-dollar question. You know, in the previous sermons, we talked about how the armor-bearer, by faith, won an impossible battle against uh, innumerable odds. And then next week, we talked about a bleeding woman who for 12 years couldn't be cured, and by faith, she was healed. And today, it seems like, hey, this jailer isn't doing too much with his faith. He's just not committing suicide. But he's actually fighting the toughest battle that requires the most faith. What is that? He recognizes that he is not free from sin. And he asks, how can a sinner like me, a prisoner of my own prison, be saved? How can I be freed? And this is the supernaturally most impossible thing ever. Harder than winning a battle, harder than being cured of your bleeding. It's harder for a sinner to recognize the glory and the grace of Jesus and be saved. So this is the most Insurmountable battle that's happening right now. You see, faith was causing this jailer. This was not a weak faith. This is a faith that's causing the jailer to piece together everything that happened that night. He's remembering why Paul and Silas came in. Remember, they, they were followed and being harassed by a demon possessed girl who kept on saying, this, These are the servants of the Most High God. They come to preach the way to salvation, and the jailer remembers this now. He's piecing it together, and then he sees the earthquake. He sees and remembers the song and the prayers, and he looks at the prisoners who didn't escape, and he's piecing it all together. And out of all the questions he could have asked, he doesn't ask, hey, why did you, why did you not escape? He doesn't ask, can you go back in? He doesn't ask, Where are, where's everyone else? The question that he comes to by faith is, how can I be saved? How can I be saved? Out of all the questions he could have asked, his faith is piecing together all the things that he saw before and at least one conclusion, that he is not a free person, that he himself is a prisoner and he must come to the Lord for salvation. Somehow, faith is piecing together all the elements of the gospel that we talk about, that God is creator, that God is king and sovereign, that we are sinners, that we need a savior, and that through that salvation, we can be one with God as his children. And by faith, all these events are piecing together a platform for this jailer's salvation. And that's still happening today in all of your families right now. Every circumstance that you are coming across right now is working to your salvation and your justification and your sanctification. By faith, the jailer looked at his circumstances and saw that he needed a Savior. I pray that as you look at your past week, as you notice why you fight with your spouse, why you're so angry with your children, why your workplace always dries you out, I hope that you aren't coming to the conclusion that you're better than this, that you deserve more than that, that you should feel, you know, um, that you are owed something better. But I hope that you feel and you notice and you perceive by faith that you are a sinner always in need of grace until Jesus comes back. Verse 31, and Paul says and tells this person how to be saved. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who are in his house. Now, if you have to notice one thing in this passage, it's this. Look at the simplicity of this message. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. To a pagan person who didn't know who Jesus was, he basically said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you and your household will be saved from whatever it is that you're seeking salvation from. This person hadn't internalized the word yet, but Paul says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. They didn't have, Paul and Silas wasn't offering a five-step program. They didn't have a four spiritual laws booklet. The, the, only, the only thing they did was take the, take the jailer to the personhood of God in Jesus and basically said, let me make an introduction. And that's what saved the jailer today. In other words, they o- the only thing that Paul and Silas were doing was introducing Jesus, the living word, to this person. It was the living word, Jesus Christ himself, the Logos, who saved the jailer that night. And so you have to look at this. It was not the earthquake it was not the demon-possessed girl. It, was, it probably helped, right? It wasn't the fact that the apostles didn't run away, even though that also probably helped. In the long run, ultimately, it was the fact that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who was in his house. The word of God saved the jailer. If you remember the passage from 1 Kings 19, 12-13, God makes himself known to Elijah, but how does he make himself known? It says, when God passes by, it says, a great and mighty wind tore into the mountain and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake passed, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a still, small voice. There was a content that came after the power. In other words... The jailer's faith was not in the earthquake. His faith was in the word spoken into his life so that it pieced together all that he had seen to come to the conclusion that God is sovereign creator and that Jesus Christ is the Savior and that he is a fallen person who needs it. So should your faith not be in the extravagant, supernatural, crazy things that you thirst for and you look for every day. Your faith will grow instead in the steady, steadfast teaching, the faithful teaching of God's word, the gospel, and having that pour into your life. Your, your faith will not grow because of supernatural events that push you forward to make decisions and, and to always you know, um, look for the supernatural, look for calling, look for uh, circumstances. But what will push your faith forward is the word of God preached to you faithfully. I pray that our church would have value to you because this is a church that proclaims the word of God. A lot of us look for healings in the midst of services. A lot of us look to see people shrieking, to see you know, demons cast out of our bodies. But the word of the Lord pieces together everything to provide content to the power that we see. And the content says that we are sinners in need of a wonderful Savior. And that is Jesus Christ. Verse 33 says this, And he took them at the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. And then he brought them up into his house and set food before him, and he rejoiced, today's passage concludes, he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. By faith, the jailer washed their wounds, and he got baptized, and he rejoiced with his family that they believed in God. You know, a lot of churches um, kind of fall on the spectrum of what they see after a conversion. A lot of times, a lot of churches look for repentance. They say repentance shows that you've been saved, right? And so they look for actions that show repentance. Here we see the jailer, and he has repented. He's washing their wounds. He's serving them food. But at the same time, one thing that Korean churches miss out all the time on, rejoicing. It's the joy of salvation, It's the joy that characterizes the fact that I have been saved from a gruesome destiny, separated from God forever. And so while we do emphasize, you know, repentance and and, and showing that we actually believe in the Lord and following the commandments of Jesus, a legalism-driven church produces joyless Christians. We have to understand that. And so as I see many, many mature people in KCPC who does 2-7, who does discipleship training, and who have wonderful actions to to prove their faith, I ask you one question. Is there joy? Is there a rejoicing in the fact that Jesus saved you and loved you? For the first time here, the jailer, Looks free. He's free because there was a rejoicing and actions that holistically showed that he has now been set free. And do you now recognize what's happening here? Do you see what's happening? The freedom and the joy that caused Paul and Silas to sing, now by faith, was now transfused upon the entire household of the jailer. And so the faith and the joy that Paul and Silas had in the jail cell is now transfused by faith to the jailer, it's not when an earthquake and circumstances changes everything around you, but it's when the, the faith, faith in a Savior, faith in a Savior frees your soul that that's what causes true rejoicing. That's what causes true rejoicing, that a saving Savior, a saving Messiah, touches your heart, and causes you to recognize the fallenness and the enslavement of your own self, that's what causes true freedom. In a world where everyone is enslaved, Paul and Silas' freedom and the joy that they had now was passed on to one household in the form of salvation and joy. The rest of the world was still the same, but one household was changed that night. The Holy Spirit was doing all of this for one household. Today's last verse says that the jailer rejoiced along with all his household that he could somehow believe in God, that he believed in God. It's the same with me today. I cannot believe, I cannot believe that a sinner like me somehow could believe in God. I just can't believe it. It's too good to be true. I mean, right before I came up here uh, to preach, uh, my dad sent me a text message. And he reminded me, uh, Son, Jesus saved you, and he's now smiling at you. There's no need to be anxious. Go up there and share the joy that you have. And I look at myself, a sinner like me. I too am a slave to my fears and my doubts. I'm a slave to my sins and my moral failures. I feel much less free much less free even, after becoming a pastor. Even after becoming a pastor, I now see every single day with much more clarity how much I fall short of becoming like Jesus, how much I fall short of responding to the grace of the gospel. I see all the fallenness in my heart, and I teach, you know, holy texts. I teach the word of God, and I, I, I make the most astounding truth claims to you every single week. But if I look into my own heart, I know how much of a slave I am to my own sin. Every time I see a missionary go to Africa with their two young children and they dedicate their lives to a life of poverty with them, I tremble at my own fallenness. Every time I see a martyr live and die with the same calling, I tremble once again at how sinful I am inside because I feel like one day only my lips are gonna go to heaven while the rest of me falls to hell. Unless, unless it was, unless it's Jesus saving me. Apart from my wonderful Savior, there's nothing in my life that shows that I am truly free. I've heard that it doesn't get much better. Pastors who retire, they still talk about how they struggle with how great of a sinner they are. Recently, the man that I looked up to most as the father of apologetics, now that he, after he passed away, there's more scandals and claims being made against him even after he passed away. My heart hurts and aches to see how after decades of faithful service, pastors even can still be slaved and enslaved to their sins and their fears. But you know what? It takes faith to recognize that you and I aren't that important. It takes faith to recognize that I'm not that important, that I'm just a sinner, I'm just earth molded together by God. I'm dust. But yet it takes faith, even more faith to recognize that God loves you and holds you to be so important that he sent his son to die for you. And I've come to realize if my joy depends upon Who I am and what I'm capable of, it is a short lived joy. I can't rejoice. But when it comes to your joy depending upon a relationship with the living God, then it becomes indestructible. And that was the faith of the jailer today. The faith of the jailer was the fact that he didn't end his life in despair. Even seeing how he is enslaved with the rest of society, he didn't end his life, but he recognized his slavery, and he came to Jesus as a broken prisoner looking for freedom. And then he received salvation and joy by faith. It was a small faith, the faith that we expect expect out of every single family who comes to this church, and yet it was a tremendous faith where you're able to recognize that I am a broken sinner and I need the freedom of Jesus Christ. This is where our joy comes from, that though we are small, that we are like worms, that Jesus is still perfect, that Jesus is the only indestructible joy that we can have. And this perfect and powerful and merciful Jesus lives with me, in me today. The Holy Spirit still lives within me today, and this Holy Spirit, the God who breaks jails and sets free prisoners, still works today in my family, in my circumstances, to break me free from all my sin and from my death unto everlasting life. My favorite Greek word in Scripture, probably because I don't know too many Greek words, comes from the last word of the last scene and the last chapter of the book of Acts. And so after chapter 16 today, you go all the way to chapter 28, and the last single word that you find in Greek is the word "akoulotas," which basically means unhindered, free and unhindered. This is used to describe Paul's last moments. He's under house arrest, and he's preaching the gospel unhindered to every single person that he can come into contact with. Paul was a kulotos, he was unhindered, and he was free. And we have this freedom as well. The joy of salvation and the power we have in Jesus Christ, even in times like this, causes the gospel to be pushed forward from household to household unhindered because it brings freedom and joy. In the midst of the coronavirus, and the upcoming presidential elections and the economic downfall that we can expect to see soon, we are still unhindered. While the rest of the world is racially hindered, while the rest of the world is politically chained down, while the rest of the world's worldviews are tied down to a certain ideology, Christians who receive the gospel can be broken free because of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And from household to household, the freedom and the salvation of Jesus still moves on, even in the most darkest of circumstances. It probably will not look like a movement. Stop keeping your eyes focused on the, uh, the, on the major sociological movements, but it will probably happen either underground in a Chinese church or in a jail cell in the Middle East, or it can happen in a basement in Russia, or it can happen... Here in the United States, in a soon gathering, in your families, where one person experiences that they are broken sinners who are enslaved, and they see the beauty of Jesus, and they approach him and receive salvation, and then from that point on, they are akulotos, freed forever, unhindered to carry the gospel to all the world. It happens when one single person accepts the gospel of freedom, and by faith, rejoices. I pray that KCPC, you would rejoice. You would rejoice by faith. You would look upon Jesus as your Savior, and despite your sinfulness, would see that Jesus is still perfect today, and he reaches out to the lost, including you. That will be the source and the joy that we have that pushes us forward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we look at the past few weeks that we have lived and see how we are ensnared by so many of the things that we desire freedom from. But Father, would you help us remember that our freedom is not from something. It is not just freedom from sin and death, but it is freedom for eternal life freedom for glorifying your name, freedom for knowing the Lord Jesus and to proclaim his gospel everywhere. And Father, I know that we always desire great movements. We desire great movements of the Holy Spirit to change cities and to change countries. And yet, Father, we also recognize that this happens on a family level, on an individual level, where somewhere, somehow, sees the gospel and crazily, supernaturally, somehow believes that he can be saved from his sin and his death. But Father, I know that happens every day. Your Holy Spirit still works today. And so Lord, I ask that whoever listens to today's message would find freedom, would trust in you, and would ask the question, Lord, how can I be saved? And they would hear from this sermon that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household will be saved. Would that bring joy to every single family here in KCPC? May our small groups be revived at the fact that they can believe in God. That is your gift unto us, a free gift of grace. Help us cherish it today. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.